Good morning, everybody. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, we continue to enjoy a class together. I'm, I'm really thankful for y'all's uh, presence. And what we've tried to do is take a closer look at particularly the Syrian refugee crisis and uh, the refugee crisis around the world in general. We've tried to talk about um, the many steps to the process, the emotions that are attached to the process, the people involved in the process. We've talked uh, in recent weeks about the many uh, fears that, that folks maybe uh, in a country like the U.S. might have in welcoming uh, people from abroad. And all in all, we've tried to um, express what our response might be as followers of Jesus. And so that's what we've uh, tried to stress the most is just how we might look at this as people who profess uh, Jesus. So these are our, our basic goals for the class. We want to continue to iterate. I'm most excited about the last three weeks of class, and you've heard me talk about this, um, and I want to continue to promote it. It's not just for you guys who've been a part of the class uh, faithfully, but for folks that you might know. So we'd love for you to invite some people. Um, but the last three weeks of class, we'll have representatives from World Relief, and they'll come and share a 101 and a 102 class that they call it, 101, World Relief 101. And really, it's going to be a great overview of what they do, their organization, ways that you can volunteer. And all in all, it'll be a process of certification. Uh, because they're a federally funded uh, organization, a resettling agency, um, obviously they want their volunteers to be on the same page and understand how, uh, how they're um, to play a part in the, in the resettling process. And so we're real excited about that. Please come, make plans to come invite some folks, well, like I said, even if they weren't a part of this class. But at the end, what we hope to do is mobilize more people here in Nashville to help families, um, to help individuals who've been resettled in our city. And uh, in those three weeks, we'll prepare you for that volunteer process. And so we're looking forward to that. Um, so we, of course, believe as disciples that our following of Jesus is rather inextricably linked to the naked, the poor, the hungry, those in prison. And as we see in Matthew chapter 25, the stranger, the people in our land who aren't uh, indigenous to this country. And so we want to welcome uh, our friends from abroad. And so this is a big uh, element to our faith and uh, something that we've talked about over, over the last several weeks. Uh, I, I love this quote from Matthew Sorens of World Relief. Um, of course, he talks about our, the crisis and our link to our neighbors uh, just as Jesus loved them, we are to love them. And then this last phrase that just has really stuck with me and continues to um, inform or, or be a paradigm, I guess, for this class, that there may be a risk or cost involved is not relevant to the mandate of love. I love that. I love those words of encouragement. We want to continue to uh, look past maybe some of the propaganda that we see in media and some of our um, natural or, or unnatural fears that well up when when interfacing with a stranger, whether from another country or just down the road. We all face sort of those insecurities uh, about uh, people who are different or people who we don't know. And so uh, we want to continue to work through those, those fears and understand that, um, that we want to express the love of God. So uh, thank you all for being here again. Um, I want to show a piece of a video. Before uh, that, let me welcome our guests. Uh, let's start with Laura Camp. Most of you all know Laura. She is recently taking a job at the Siloam Health Clinic, and we're going to talk today a little bit about the Siloam Health Clinic, who deals with uh, various people groups in Nashville, but, but one niche that they have is, is the refugee population here in Nashville. 
Issa, who is a friend of Laura's and a coworker of Laura's, also works for the Siloam Health Care Clinic, and I'm going to let him pronounce his given name, uh, but we're going to call him Issa, and he's a, a gentleman and a, just a, a great friend already, and I'm looking forward to hearing from both of them today from Siloam Health Clinic. And then last but not least is Shinwar, who is from Kurdistan, and his beautiful wife here uh, today, Nazdar, and their great little eight-month-old boy, Ara, is with us. So if you hear some cooing, you'll know it's not Lisa, it's Ara. <laughs> but Lisa Sherman-Nicholas has helped coordinate this because they are connected uh, in friendship, and so I'm really thankful to Lisa for putting us all together today. Uh, I appreciate Robert's, uh, Roger's prayer, and uh, we're just looking forward to today, and what we want to do is just talk. You know, we just want to have some conversation. The, the class is titled today, Stories from the Front Line. And so rather than hearing uh, from me and Roger week after week, who are kind of like you, just sort of researching this and getting to know this, um, the situation, the crisis and the process, let's hear from people who are sort of on the front line, the sort of boots on the ground who are, who are either a refugee themselves or who, who are interfacing with the refugee population every day and let them teach us. And so, um, they're going to share whatever they would like, and I'm going to guide them through some basic questions, but um, the door is open for them to say what uh, they would like for us to hear. And so I appreciate uh, them being with us today. So uh, Laura is our shyest, and so we'll go with her first. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to prepare her for that uh, as, as we watch about two minutes of this video. And this, is, this can be found on the SalomHealth.org's website. It's a great introductory video. And so let's play this just to kind of give you a general idea of what they're about, and then we'll dive into some of the particulars with what these two do every day at Salome Health. Take the chance and they come. 
they're looking for something to restore their life, which they've never had. That's fine, like living in a refugee camp for 15 years. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. It's an ordinary day for us, but it's a monumental day for them. It's just the first part of their medical health screening process as they enter into the U.S. Most of them have probably only been here for a month or less. It's very intimidating to be in a clinic like this um, with so many people in so many different languages and they're asking questions about your medical health and it, I'm sure it's very scary. All right, so that's a, a wonderful video. It's about seven minutes long. You can check it out. Uh, in full length on the slowhealth.org, uh, but we want to uh, move into our discussion. Sorry, let me get back to our slides. <coughs> so let's, like I said, let's start with Laura. Laura, let's pretend that we do not know one another, and we meet in the in the halls of this church building, and um, we talk about what I do, and then I say, well, what do you do? And you say, well, I work with the Siloam Health Clinic. And I say, what does that mean? So, so let's, start, let's start there. Let's just say, what, is, what does that mean? So you give us an overview of the, of the work and the mission of the clinic. Okay. So I've only been there five months, so I feel really, it doesn't feel right for me to be out here. <laughs> but I work as the director of operations, um, and so it's a tremendous privilege to be at Salon. That is what that video just showed occurs every Monday morning at Salon. That's not the only thing Salon does through the week. Um, the other thing Salon does through the week is see patients who are uninsured. And so it's a primary care clinic. And I, I come from primary care a primary care background so I'm used to being in a setting where patients have insurance and you come to the practice if you love your doctor and that doctor is in network with your insurance and at Salome if you have insurance you actually are not eligible to be a patient at Salome because Salome was founded 25 years ago specifically to serve those who have nowhere else to go um, and it was started in an apartment in the Edge Hill area by um, a group of physicians who went to Belmont Church and there have been plenty who have volunteered there through the years, including folks from Otter Creek or connected to Otter Creek. Nancy Denny was in that video and she's John and Jane Denny's, or she's, I'm sorry, Jeff Denny's mother. <laughs> There's three Denny boys, and they all have Jane names. <laughs> but he and his wife Jane are usually in this class, and they're actually, I think. They're in Africa, yeah, right that's now. right. So mission-oriented people already know about Salon. You know, not, not necessarily, but a lot of mission-oriented people in Nashville already know about Salon. I didn't know about Salon. I think Churches of Christ are more aware of faith, family medical clinic, and they serve a, a similar population, but there are differences, and then we may be more um, familiar with Mercy in Franklin. But Salome falls in that category, and so um, specifically, though, on Monday mornings, we're seeing refugees who've been resettled, and Issa can probably do a better job communicating this, but 
what's occurring on Monday mornings mm -hmm. is that all the refugees who come to Nashville and 80% of the refugees that are assigned to Tennessee come to Nashville. So of those 80% that are coming to Tennessee, they all have to have health screenings and they have to have it within a certain number of days. And they obviously can't go to school or, you know, they can't, they can't function in life without certain documents being completed. And so um, Salam has signed a contract with the Tennessee Office of Refugees and we see all the refugees that come through Nashville and we are contractually obligated to do so. Um, and so it doesn't matter if it's 65 on Monday morning or 25 on Monday morning. And so that's been the challenge that we've been experiencing most recently is that lately the numbers have really gotten high and you can imagine why the numbers have gone up. And so, you know, people are really sprinting at Salam on Monday mornings and, and Eason, his coworker Beth in particular, are really in overdrive and have been for months because of the increased volume. Yeah. So I got to visit the clinic, I guess this past Thursday, and I was I got to join them for morning prayer. And they're all sort of gathered there together in the central room holding hands. And, you know, you, you definitely sense that you're in a nonprofit organization. And what what I and I loved, there's a small chapel room there that's beautiful. And, uh, you know, I got to just get the general tour. But what struck me is that there's so much passion about what they're doing, right? This is not just a normal, sterile-looking kind of clinic. There's, there's things on the wall, and there's just a sense in the room that this is about helping people. So that, that was really evident. Not, I'm not just saying that. But so Issa, talk to us about what, what Siloam folks like you and Laura are most passionate about. Like, we're, we're, Let's talk about the sense that's in your, your work there in, in the way of what, what are you guys passionate about? Uh, I think uh, my my job or my role is, is crucial uh, for the, the, the refugee community uh, because uh, uh, first of all when they get here uh, they have a, a very horrible uh, health background. Mm -hmm. People who have been living in refugee camp for 20 years, 15 years, eating nothing, without water, sleeping on the floor, or sometimes outside. So they have uh, many serious uh, uh, health uh, issues. So well, what, what I do after medical screening, those people, who are many, you know, I make sure they find, if they don't get taken care of at Salon, if they need a further follow-up, I have to make sure they find specialists all around the city, either Vanderbilt Hospital, St. Thomas, uh, and uh, this is, the, I mean, the, the, the passion that I have in this program is that we give hope to these people in, the, in their very first days yeah. when they get here. Yeah. yeah. We give them hope. And those 
we have a lot of uh, testimonies where people say, if we didn't get here, we shouldn't be alive. Yeah. Laura knows that there is an instance of an example of a lady who came with a very serious uh, brain problem. So we stepped in at a very uh, at a very time. I mean, when it was necessary. Yeah. So and now she's doing well, and uh, um, and I think uh, the fact that we help them in the very beginning it creates this bond, uh, and they. Uh, I mean. Yeah, it, 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 I can say that it is the only privilege, the only pride that I have serving those people who, who are really needy and who, who don't have any other alternative mm -hmm. during their first days in this country. So, yeah. And the, being refugee myself for almost 20 years, more than 20 years, um, I think it's a, it's a chance that I've got to pay back what God has done to me. Because if at a certain point there's somebody who intervened for me to be uh, alive today. So if I play a role in somebody's life, it's also a big privilege for me and I'm proud of that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I know Laura, during my visit, <clears throat> you mentioned that um, most refugees coming to the state of Tennessee actually passed through Nashville, some 85%, I believe is what you said. And so one of the reasons I chose that video snippet was you could see in that family from Nepal just the nervousness, the, the, the fear in their face. And, and I'm just, I was taken by that room. You took me into that room where refugees meet on Mondays, and it's a room not much bigger than this, and you said some 65 probably per week. Just talk a little bit about... Um, the emotions that you see, and, and Issa's kind of alluding to that, uh, but talk about what they're really going through. What, what, do they, what are they really feeling? I'd love to hear more about that. Um, what I think, they, what they look to me like they're feeling is, um, you know, the mothers look nervous. Mm -hmm. I'm paying more attention to the mothers. And so they've got, a lot of refugee families are quite large, lots of children in tow. Um, their children are unspeakably beautiful, of course, and the mothers look nervous. And so sometimes when I walk in on Monday mornings, and that's the first thing you see is this room. When staff walk in, you see the room, the, we call it the education room. It's full of people from all over the world. I always feel like I've walked into a major international airport when I get to work on Monday mornings. Um, and there are women from Africa who look like they just came from, from the bush. They are in full tribal garb, their Sunday best. Um, but it, just these gorgeous um, <coughs> African women with lots of children, or they're from all over. Um, and, and in fact, I wanted to tell you, like this coming Monday, we will welcome, we get this email every week, uh, one refugee from Afghanistan, one from Burma, 23 from Congo, which is where Issa is from, one from El Salvador, 10 from Iraq, three from Somalia, one from South Sudan, and seven from Sudan. Wow. So none from Syria this week, but there have been refugees from Syria very in recent weeks. 
So it, it's, um, they, they look nervous, but, and yet I feel this connection, like you're a mother, I'm a mother, and so when your child is acting up and you look <coughs> embarrassed by that, I can give you a knowing look, yeah. you know? And it's nice to be able to connect on where we can connect. And yeah. I can connect with them on knowing how you feel when your child is acting up and you wish they wouldn't. Or, mm-hmm. um, so I just, I, that's what I try to do in terms of connecting, but they look like I would look if yeah. I went to, if I showed up needing help in a country where I didn't speak the language and I know we can't do anything until we get this health screening done and I'm not sure where we're going to live yet yeah. or where my husband's going to work or yeah. where my kids are going to go to school or I would look and feel nervous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Issa, I know that you guys see a lot of tough things, I'm sure. You mentioned the lady with the serious brain issue and the, the video later in that particular video I showed, there's some, um, you know, folks are dealing with real, real issues uh, physically, emotionally, and um, just share a little bit about um, some of the tough things that you've seen, how you help folks through those tough things. Uh, and we'll get to some of the, the great things as well in a minute, but just, just talk a little bit about some of the things that you're facing on a week-to-week basis that you, that you all have to help folks through. Um, apart from uh, helping these people get treated, either at Salon or outside, I also run another program called Health Literacy uh, Program, whereby I teach uh, refugees how to navigate the American healthcare system. <laughs> um, it is hard. There are some people who, even Americans, who can't understand yeah. how the American healthcare system yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> so, Don't restrict yourself to refugees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so for these people who have been here for a day or two, yeah. they were told that if you get you get a problem, you call 911. Yeah. Somebody, a kid, you get a constipation and you call 911. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody has a headache, they call 911. So I teach them how to use those healthy resources, yeah. who to see, when, what to eat. Should I eat everything I found on my way? Of course, people have been starving for, starving for many years. So when they get when they get here with the plenty of food uh, around them, so they get excited and eat in a very disorganized way. So I have to teach them how to eat, how to stay healthy, and um, how to take care of their families and. Uh, uh, mainly, how to use the healthcare yeah. uh, system yeah. here in America, which is very complex. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, for either one of you guys, how about a story that that would that you've seen, something that you've seen in, in your time at Siloam that really points to why it's such a good thing? I mean, what, a success story or something that you would share that points to the value of the clinic. Um, first of all, these people cannot go to work without uh, healthcare, I mean, without uh, medical screening. Mm-hmm. It is for their benefit and also for the American society benefit. Mm-hmm. 
because for those who are found with uh, maybe communicable, communicable diseases like TB or any other uh, problem, so they can't go to the communities and spread that disease to, to, the, to the people. So first of all, that is uh, helping those people, but also protecting the, the general public. In yeah. And children cannot go to school either yeah. without uh, those uh, uh, without immunization. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we try to do it in the, the in the very first days here is just to make sure when they become uh, uh, independent. Uh, they will be, they have already finished uh, all the medical screening and uh, there are other restrictions. I mean, the major ones are education and, empl and, and employment. So, you know, they are refugees, but they are smart, they are bright, <coughs> and they are already work, they are healthy. So we have to get them ready as soon as possible so that they can go to the community while healthy and strong enough yeah. to serve them. Yeah. Uh, Laura, right as I was leaving Thursday, I met the young lady who is now the new volunteer coordinator, and I met a, a person that is um, sort of a church engagement kind of guy. And, and I had this question for them. They did a great job um, talking about this. Yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, if 50 volunteers showed up tomorrow, what would Siloam say we need more of? Here's what you could do. Here's how you could help. From professionals all the way to just regular Dwayne's. Mm -hmm. Regular Dwayne's. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor or nurse, so I know that, that if someone like me wants to volunteer at Salome, there are still things I can do. So I can help administratively, and we train our volunteers to help administratively. But we do have need for doctors and nurses, and there are certain specialties that, one thing that's so great about Salome, and I don't want to belabor this but it is like i think just an impressive looking clinic it's yeah. the kind of clinic i would want to be seen in it's not it doesn't look all makeshift and used supplies from other offices it's really it's really state-of-the-art stuff and so much of it's been donated but um one thing that's amazing there is if a patient comes in and the primary care doctor realizes, oh, you need to see an orthopedic doctor, or oh, you need to see a gynecologist, or oh, you need to see, you need to get an x-ray. Those specialists are the ones who are, those specialists are not on staff at yeah. some, they are coming in and volunteering <coughs> in our office. So if you're a healthcare specialist, um, we could use you. If you're a nurse, we could use you. Um, but we can also use the regular Duanes to provide administrative support and even do stuff like clean out closets and haul stuff off. And um, there, there are just so many different needs there. Yeah, that's great. Well, check out SloanHealth.org. Uh, talk to these folks more after class today. Go visit. Um, you know, I, I took a quick 10-minute tour. I'm sure Laura has nothing better to do to, than to give us <laughs> all tours every hour of the day. But no, um, I was impressed. And, and she's right. It is state-of-the-art. It is a beautiful clinic. And, um, you know, many nonprofit organizations struggle with resources. Not that they don't. Um, but they struggle with resources. They struggle with facilities. They struggle with kind of keeping the, the lights on, but this, you didn't get this feel. You get the sense, and I, I don't know too much, but you get the sense that Nashville is behind this clinic. 
HCA is represented, and you've got doctors from all these specialists checking in regularly to see patients. Uh, State-of-the-art x-ray lab, I mean, it's a beautiful facility, and you can tell they're doing great work practically. But, um, but as I said earlier, even more impressive is just the fact that there's this passion that exists. There's this, um, there's this message that we care, and there's people there that are loving. And uh, so, yeah, thank you all so much for sharing about Siloam. It's really an amazing ministry and, um, and something that I wanted everybody to know more about, too. And so thank you all. Uh, Shemar, welcome. Thank you so much for being here and your wife and, and young little boy. Uh, we appreciate you guys uh, being a part of, of this, this morning. Here's a great picture of you guys. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, your story, your home country, uh, the conditions that forced you to flee, timeline. Just give us an overarching story for you guys. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me here my wife, uh, we really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here and uh, to be welcomed by a uh, great church like this. Uh, so uh, my story started when I was, uh, the first time that we fled was in 1991, when Saddam Hussein uh, um, bombed Kurdish city with chemical weapons. So uh, probably if you guys remember that 1991, uh, all people, about 4 million Kurds fled to the mountain and a thousand of them get killed because of of snow and uh, starving and all that story. And uh, a lot of people moved back in 1991. And then after the no-fly zone in, uh, in 1991, uh, we started to have a good life and started things were good. Um, then uh, I, I used to work for uh, Ministry of Education after that, after I graduated. I'm just trying to skip some things yeah. I don't get. I don't want to, to tell too much uh, okay. about my story. Um, I used to work for uh, American NGO, Washington DC based NGO in Kurdistan and in uh, South middle and north of, uh, of Iraq. Yeah. So um, I got through it a couple times in 2010 by some uh, terrorist groups. So I didn't pay attention. I said, it's okay, uh, we can still live. And after three years, uh, me and my wife, we got a scholarship to study master in uh, structure and civil engineering in United Kingdom. So that picture is from United Kingdom. So we went there and we studied for two years. Uh, in 2013, I got a, a call from the US Embassy to come here uh, to United States because of my, uh, uh, my work for United States NGOs and government and for being threatened by uh, this terrorist group. But I wanted to stay and, and serve my country instead of uh, just leaving there. But things after 2013 get worse after uh, those terrorist groups and ISIS becoming very close to my hometown. They were actually about 35 miles from my uh, hometown, which is the Hope. And then uh, after that, when I got a call again in 2015, I decided to, to come this time. Yeah. So talk to us, okay, so one of the things we've learned a lot about in the class is the resettlement process. Yes. And of course it's very um, lengthy and complicated and it's different, uh, you know, particular to your particular situation. It sounds like that's what you face, but talk a little bit about your resettlement process. Like where did you first go? What are some of the steps that you went through and some of the interviews you went through? What, what, is, what did that look like? Yes, so the process started when you apply uh, you have to, to have a, a verification letter and a recommendation letter from a U.S. citizen that verifies that you have worked for 
for them or with them, and you, you're not making a threat on the United States uh, uh, security. So after these two, you, got, you get uh, medical screening first, and then uh, you get uh, first and second interview. So it's a, a long process, sometimes take from two to might be 10 years. Uh, we were lucky because we don't have any uh, military backgrounds or any, any things like that. So the process was way faster. And then uh, I, I remember the first interview was in 2000, I think it was in 11. The second one was in 2013. That's when I got the opportunity to come over here. Uh, usually it's, it's two, two, uh, two main interviews that you, uh, you have to, to go through interviews. They ask different questions. You go through uh, a long process of uh, security check, uh, and after that you get here. So after you decide if, if you have family or somewhere in the United States, you want to go a specific uh, uh, state or specific city, you, you ask them to, to and give them information about your family. And then they, they go from a resettlement, resettlement agencies like NICE and uh, Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess there is another one. Ro Ro Relief and yes, Catholic Charities, that's right. Yep. So uh, main, mainly the, these three yeah. coordinating between uh, the resettlement agencies here yeah. and uh, overseas. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Yeah. So um, the first day that we came here, we went, I think, no, the second day actually, we went to Saloon <coughs> for this medical health, health screening because obviously you can't work or uh, start your life here until you get those. Uh, medical screening and immunization. Luckily, we had all those uh, uh, immunization and medical screening because we were a little bit luckier than other refugees that used to live in camps for a lot of years. They don't have, they don't know language, and it's, it's a, a very uh, big issue and barrier uh, stopping people from communicating with other people and talking to them. Um, so after that, we we got all this medical screening and. Yeah, uh, and then uh, getting your uh, social security number and uh, work authorization, and then uh, you can apply for jobs. Yeah, that. talk a little bit about what it was like for you and Nazdar to leave your home country. Yeah, it is it is very difficult. Like uh, we we never wanted to leave our country, and still, it's still until now it's it's very difficult for us. But we don't have a choice. I mean, most of people, not most of them, all of them actually. They have to leave. They, they don't have a, a choice to, to stay on their own country. I mean, we wanted to stay for a couple of years. We, we didn't want to, to leave, but eventually we, ha we had nowhere to go after that. Yeah. yeah. And then, likewise, talk a little bit about what, did it, what were your thoughts and feelings on coming to the U.S.? Because you, you, know, you could have resettled in other countries, but what, was, yes, what, what right. do you think about coming to the U.S.? Yes. Because I used to live in uh, United Kingdom, and I visited a couple of European countries, and I, I had a lot of American friends when I used to work for uh, the American agencies in Kurdistan. And then uh, they were very, very good friends, and they all told me stories about uh, United States and how people are good here and how they're welcoming uh, uh, people from different countries. That was the big motivation that I chose to to live in the United States, yeah. not in other different countries. Yeah. So as people of Nashville, we'd love to hear, just very honestly, how have you been received in Nashville? Uh, actually, 
actually really very, very good. Yeah. People were very, very nice. Uh, I have never had any any problem or different look or kind of hate look, something like that. Yeah. And especially with my job, I work for uh, Tennessee Department of Transportation okay. in Tullahoma. And actually, I'm the only foreign guy here. <laughs> <laughs> All of them, uh, we had a meeting like 130 uh, employees. I'm the only one we, we, who is not from the United States. Okay. And yeah, they respect me a lot. And I feel that I'm not a stranger. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm home. So I really appreciate what, what Nashville people and Tennessee specifically give it to me and my family and this uh, nice opportunity to, to live and, and uh, being welcome here. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's a great advantage that you guys speak such good English. Um, but talk a little bit about your, your challenges. What, what are some of the challenges that you still face? You said you've been here nine months. Yes. Uh, I guess the biggest challenge for most refugees uh, is finding a good job suits their qualification. Yeah. Because when I came here, the only job that I was applying for was engineering job because I have about 10 years experience in, in engineering design and implementation of different civil engineering projects. And all of people here, they say, never apply for engineering job because you will never get a job in engineering. I say, well, this is the only thing that I know. I, I know nothing about other things. This is, besides, I know some computer programming and all that, but it's not, I don't have any degree in, in that uh, field of yeah. expertise. So I tried, tried and applied for more than 100 jobs, yeah. and I only got three interviews. Yeah. yeah. The first one, I didn't get luck with it. The, first, the second one, I got the job, and third one, I got a job too, but I preferred to work for the second one. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, so and the only problem, I guess, with, <laughs> yeah. There he is. All right. Listen. Mm -hmm. He's cheering, he's cheering dad on today. Yeah. <laughs> but finish your statement there, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, the only problem is that uh, sometimes people are afraid of refugees. Yeah. They don't know who they are. They're kind of scared of, because they haven't talked to any refugees before. They, yeah. they don't know their stories. So, and because of, like you said before, <coughs> a lot of propaganda in, in media and showing this uh, ugly face of <coughs> refugees, uh, in, in general and Muslims in specific, um, I assure you guys, this is not what, what refugees look like. Because uh, I, I lived with refugees and I worked with them because in, in, in Kurdistan, north of Kurdistan, we had about a million refugees from uh, other parts of Iraq, from Syria, and none of them did any anything wrong to us. And, and all of them, they, they didn't have a, a country, they didn't have a home to stay. So I think it's, it's very good for all of us to um, to help a little bit those refugees to, to have a to have a good life and resettle here because uh, they have been in in a very difficult life and the least that we can do is that just helping them with a smile or just welcoming them here because I, for for me I'm a refugee and I know how how it's difficult because I've I lived with refugees. And I work with them, and I know how it's difficult for them to leave their countries. Yeah. And I see many of them crying, uh, and especially the uh, Syrian ones. Mm -hmm. Because I used to build schools for them, temporary schools, uh, when I was, I used to work for a Ministry of Education, uh, director of school buildings. Wow. And I know how it's difficult for them to, to leave their home and, and their family, their life. All of them, especially I'm talking about Iraqis and Syrians, they had very good life, very good education, most of them, I would say, 80% of Iraqis 
they have at least bachelor degree. Oh, at least 80%. They had very good life, family, beautiful home, cars, and everything. Now they, they give up everything. So I think it's very, very difficult for them to come over here and to live with nothing, yeah. starting from zero. Yeah. yeah it's difficult. Here you are with the famous uh, Bruce Willis. <laughs> 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 First of all, Bruce Willis is not that tall. Yeah. <laughs> if you're wondering if this is real, maybe this. Yeah. If you're wondering if that's real, maybe this will help. Um, so, Shinwar, to wrap it up here, and you've started a little bit on this, but tell us what you would like for us to know. We, here we are, a group of Christian people who are working to help and learn and figure out how we can assist refugees being resettled in Nashville. So tell us what you would like for us to think about and to know. Uh, for me, a smile is enough yeah. from people that I see. It's a smile is good enough for me to, to feel that I'm welcome here and I'm not a stranger or uh, I'm not different from them. Yeah. So uh, I guess that's the only thing that I would like to see when people see me. And besides, I mean, whoever wants to, to help refugees, because many of them are in different, in difficult uh, situation. They don't know English. They, they, they can't uh, express their feeling. I'm lucky that I know a little bit of English, that I can communicate with people. Yeah. Many of them, they don't know English. So yeah. it's difficult for them. They feel... Uh, they feel like they can't talk to people, and at the same time, not being welcome is very difficult. So I guess, uh, for me, a, a smile, I think, is, is enough, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. A smile like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you all for being here today. Let's thank them. Yeah. Let's have a word of prayer, and I want, to, I want to pray specifically for Siloam and for the work that they do and for the many refugees in Nashville who are, who are overcoming a language barrier, who are overcoming uh, so many obstacles uh, that, that are, that's in their path, and uh, we just want to be sensitive to that. We want to learn as a church how we can help and how we can pull alongside of people who are fearful, who are nervous, who are concerned about their family and their children and their health and their education just like our families are. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for blessing us with Laura and Isa and Shinwar and Nazdar and Ara, and their presence here is so appreciated, and uh, we just pray blessings over the many refugees in Nashville and across the U.S. who have been resettled, who have left their homes, who have left their families, uh, extended families, their jobs, possessions, many things, uh, friendships all left behind, uh, fleeing some sort of violence or conflict or unrest or persecution. Uh, we just want to be mindful, Father, that they, um, as they resettle, they have many emotions and many, many fears, many concerns, many challenges. Uh, we just pray that you would wrap your arms around them, that you would guide them, that you would put people in their path that could care, that could, as Shinwar said, uh, smile and extend a welcome to them, extend a hand to them. We want to be those people, Father, and so we pray your blessing on our efforts, as small as they might be, 
to uh, be the kind of people that we've been called to be, that we could uh, assist, that we could smile, that we could extend a hand. Just pray a special blessing over the Salome Health Clinic that's working so hard to uh, welcome folks, to be that uh, first touch, to help them in their uh, mainly physical needs, but I know as well uh, um, emotional and spiritual needs as well. So we pray for the doctors, for the staff, for the volunteers, as they work week after week uh, in the trenches, that they would lift others up, that they would be a blessing to, to all the people that they meet. Thank you so much for this time uh, together uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all again so much. Thank you all.